Okay. What is happening, team? Coach Ishak with HawkFit Coaching and Legion Athletics and your host for today's episode of Anabolic Radio. I'm joined today by Andy Bryant, who is a practicing podiatrist. How many years have you been practicing again? 21 years. 21 years. So tons of experience. And um, today we will be talking along the lines, talking about things with regards to gait mechanics, your shoes, what you're walking on and what you're using in the gym and how it could be negatively impacting your foot. So Andy, why don't you just go ahead and give us some background into your practice and you know what you typically help patients out with? Yeah, so I'm a podiatrist here in um, Australia, which is a bit different to the States. This um, podiatrists in the States are, um, are surgeons as well. We're, we're more like an allied health, similar to a physical therapist um, when we train here in Australia. So, um, yeah, I've been working for just over 20 years. And the first 15, I was just like a regular podiatrist, just doing what all the other podiatrists do, what we're taught. And then just through my own journey, I noticed my own feet getting stronger. And so I've been... Um, teaching other people to get stronger feet um, since then over the last sort of four or five years. Um, and yes, I now own, I now run a practice on my own. I used to run a bigger practice, but um, I was having conflicting ways of working with my business partners and other podiatrists there. So I went out on my own. And so now it's just, I'm a one man show and I just um, do all the work myself and I find it a lot more enjoyable. And yeah, so um, that's what I do now. Yeah, I, I look after people mostly that have injuries with their feet, um, but also other people that just want to transition to minimal shoes or um, are in that barefoot space. I, I shy away from standard podiatry now. I, if someone wants a pair of orthotics, I send them to a podiatrist down the road because I have different ways of working. So, yeah. Mm, so what would you say that aha moment was that, you know, distinguished you from other practicing podiatrists? Um, I think there are a couple, but I – took up a yoga practice and noticed my own feet getting stronger and not needing my orthotics anymore. And so I remember being in a yoga class and that back foot in a warrior two, you're really grounding down and really trying to pull your arch up and really using your whole leg to make a strong foundation through the foot. Gypsy enough. And, um, and so I, that was an aha moment. And then in the gym as well, I was training at a gym where people were um, training barefoot or in minimal shoes. And I was like, oh, this is weird. Why aren't they in something that's more supportive? And so then I looked into it and away it went. And what are some reasons for the audience listening that people would, you know, get inserts or, or orthotics in their uh, shoes? Oh, any, many and varied. Like some kids, I saw a four-year-old yesterday, and if he had been a podiatrist down the road, he would have been put in orthotics because his mum's worried about the way his foot looks. He's not functioning. There's no difference to his function. He's functioning beautifully. But um, so some people are putting them from a very early age because their foot doesn't look right. Like people are worried about their foot rolling in or um, having a flatter foot. And so um, the so it could be that. But then also for pain as well, like heel pain, big toe joint pain, forefoot pain. Um, people use orthotics for just about any type of pain because they alter function and they change load. And so that's how you change pain or get over an injury by managing load and an orthotic manages load. Uh, my argument is just there are other ways to do it. And if we are going to use an orthotic, we shouldn't do it for the long term. Mm, mm. So I'm curious to hear of some of your, uh, your, your thought process and your principles as to why we should be strengthening our feet. Um, so just like any other part of our body, if it's injured or if it's weak or immobile, we will um, work on the, mo the mobility or the strength. We 
we don't routinely brace any other part of our body, but in um, Western society, it's not only routinely done, it's accepted and it's it's just what you do for feet. You support them. Everyone has this um, misconceived idea of um, the foot needing support, but we don't routinely support any other part of our body. And maybe it's because it's at the bottom of our body and we're worried about standing on it, but um, it doesn't make any sense. Our foot is perfectly designed to tolerate load on its own without support and in fact when we support it it's more likely to reduce its ability to tolerate load on its own and get weaker and so um, just using the principles of um, of exercise rehabilitation strength and conditioning if you if you apply a a, a stimulus then the foot in this case will get stronger and so um, if you take away that stimulus then the foot will get weaker and so I'm all about just applying the right stimuluses to build strong feet. Mm. So when it comes to applying the appropriate level of stimulus, um, what are some things that you've seen over your years practicing? And I know you said it's like, you know, obviously a wide variety of reasons as to why, but what are some reasons as to why, uh, you know, some people inquire with you is it because, you know, their, their gait isn't, you know, necessarily the best or, you know, they're, they're getting some instability when they're lifting or whatever the case may be. I, I, I see two really, um, diverse groups mostly now, like if I'm going to, um, you know, make it seem simple in terms of the type of people I see, they're at the opposite ends of the spectrum. Most people with what would be considered normal feet still are, are well um, served by traditional podiatrists, and so they don't often need to see me. So it's the people with mobile, really hypermobile, and a foot that looks flatter at one end of the scale, and the other end of the scale is people that have got really high arches and really stiff feet. So these people aren't being served well by traditional podiatry, and they're looking for something different, and they've tried something different, and or they are more comfortable barefoot and they need someone to help them through the process of living that way. And so I I deal with those people, the people that are on the fringe that modern podiatry is not really working for or people that just know that it's better to be barefoot. Like they just intuitively know, but they need help. And so I'm, I'm dealing with them like that. And, and so there could just be someone that is having like very random issues or not even issues with their feet. They just need help along the way. But often it's um, it's pain related and it can be heel pain or forefoot pain. They're the two most common things that I look after, heel pain and forefoot pain. Heel pain and forefoot pain. And how much of that is attributed to, you know, some of the uh, common cultures, fashionable types yeah. of shoes? Well, I think a lot of it can be because – we, um, if we were to brace any other part of our body long term, like we do with a shoe, then it will get weak. And then when you try and use it more, it gets sore. And so nearly everyone I see has got issues because they have at some point been in traditional footwear. I think if we never put our children in traditional footwear, then we would see a lot less foot conditions. And in fact, um, there aren't many podiatrists um, doing what I do or doing what any podiatrist do in many Asian countries because they're habitually more barefoot and they habitually sit on the ground more so their hips are more mobile. And so there's just not a, a need for podiatrists in these countries compared to Western countries. Mm. So, yeah, yeah, I think most problems come from footwear. And I even would say that if we didn't wear 
conventional shoes, I might be out of a job, which would be fine. <laughs> that's funny. That's funny. Um, yeah, and you know, this is something that I've noticed in my own personal experience is switching from, you know, something that is a bit more cushioned or, you know, has a, a bit of a, a narrow shaped toe point, right? Switching from that to sort of more of a minimal shoe or, you know, what I use when I train is my Vibrams, which I feel like I get, you know, significantly more like articulation out of my foot. I'm able to get more stability. I'm able to grip the floor with my feet. And the analogy that I always, I always like to use when telling people is like, you know, people are always like, why are you wearing these types of shoes? And I'm like, you know, think about an oven mitt for your hand, right? It's like this. And then you think about gloves and what that would be able to do for your feet. And um, they're like, oh, wow, I never, I've never thought about that. And I'm like, oh, I put two and two together. And they're like, oh, but they look so funny. I'm like, man, I don't care how they look. I'm going to the gym to train. And that's just about it. So yeah, that's I've, a great I've, point. And I've done an Instagram post with that exact image. If you were to use your hand um, as, as best as would, would you, in, 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 to its best um, ability, would you do it in an oven mitt or would you do it in a glove if you needed to protect it? Like if you didn't need to protect it, you wouldn't even wear anything on your on your hand for mm. the most you know for the most acute of um, tasks. Um, when we push the big toe sideways, it has a huge effect on like just touching on why you um, find having that splay is important. When we keep our big toe straight, that is such a stabilizing effect on our whole body. When we use the muscles around the big toe joint correctly. It feeds up all the medial side of the leg all the way up through the adductors into the pelvic floor so that if you're grounding down through that big toe, you are engaging a whole system that is that is made to be engaged. If you're pushing that big toe sideways, it's very hard to do that. If you're pushing the big toe sideways and then trying to push through some foam, it's even harder to do that. And if you're trying to push the if you're pushing the big toe sideways, pushing through foam, and then most shoes have toe spring, which is like a lift of the toe as well, it's impossible to ground down through that big toe and get that engagement through the whole leg. So, you know, when I see you training, pushing through that big toe joint, using your five fingers, like actually using your big toe there, using those shoes that you wear, the five fingers, um, you can you know that there's engagement through your whole leg. It's going to be helpful to the process that you're working on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like our, our, our whole body is a kinetic chain. So yeah. the better position we're able to get in, the more stability we're able to get out of a movement, the better we're going to be for things like force production, right? Yeah, um, exactly. that, that's interesting how you said, oh, when you turn your toe and like all these, like, I'm just thinking, oh, the, the stability traveling up my leg. And, you know, it's so crazy to think about how the smallest things when it comes to, you know, resistance training or even walking or our shoes, like the smallest variables have the biggest impact, especially down the road. And, you know, oftentimes you, you see people in the gym and they're, you know, shaking their legs, they're tapping their legs up and down and as they're performing the movement and then, you know, you look at their execution for the movement and it isn't um, necessarily the best. And just like you had previously mentioned, you know, um, you made a post on Instagram. Speaking of Instagram, that's how I first discovered you. Yeah. So um, someone tagged you in my, one of my posts and I believe it was an analysis that you had done 
on an x-ray of a normal foot in a very popular running shoe versus more of a minimal shoe. So for those of you who are watching this on YouTube, I'll go ahead and put a image of that. Um, but for some of the audience, you know, tuning in, Andy, could you give us some insight as to, you know, that analysis you did and, you know, maybe some give us some guidelines or principles people could go based off of for selecting the appropriate shoe for them? Yeah. So if we, uh, just to go back a step, if you look at someone, say, deadlifting or squatting in a running shoe or a cushion shoe, the foot is just moving so much on this cushion. It doesn't make any sense to not be grounding down through something that's either very thin or the or being barefoot. Um, and it's a really that's something you can all do by watching people at the gym trying to lift something heavy or push through something heavy when you've got a foam in the way. It doesn't make any sense to do that. Anyway, so yeah, that that analysis, um, it was just those those pictures were very easy and they weren't, I don't know how scientific they were, those pictures, but it got people thinking and it was it made it easy for me to explain what a shoe does to our foot and maybe um, it, what I'd put on that um, image is not, uh, like I, I may have, some of it seems extreme, but when we, uh, putting our foot in a shoe, we need to know that these uh, this is the effect it's having. And it might seem minor and it might seem cushioned and comfortable, but when you do it every day for your whole life, it's going to have some effect on your body. Um, and and people like a cushioned shoe because they like to feel comfortable, but it's like when you, you wouldn't sit on the couch all day every day just because it's comfortable. It would be detrimental to your physical body. But if we go through that X-ray, I can explain it. Um, first, we look at um, the heel lift. When we put a, a higher heel than our forefoot, it puts our ankle in a reduced um, position of stability because the ankle is a, a mortise and as soon as you change that mortise, it, it is less stable. It also puts the calves in a shortened position and the Achilles in a shortened position, puts tension on the plantar fascia. Um, it's not helpful to have a heel all the time because then you get used to having a heel all the time and that's not the way we're designed to function. It also changes your posture all the way up the chain. So when we put a heel under our foot, we still keep, and we're standing, we still keep our head above our ankles. But for, for that to still be the case, all the joints in between, your knee, your hips, your lower back, your thoracic, your neck, all have to change to accommodate the fact that your foot is now in an elevated heeled position. And so, um, and this could only be a one centimetre heel, but that's still an adjustment that's taking you away from an, a natural position. And then you're moving in that way. And and so, you know, everything is just taking you away from where you should be or how you should function. Um, you know, we see a lot of people getting osteoarthritis of the knees and knee replacements at 50 and 60 years of age. Well, when we put a heel in a shoe, it puts our knee in a quad dominant position and it's not in a position, position it's designed to be. You're then not stacking the knee as it's meant to be stacked. And so you have um, the knee wearing out in a in a way that's not designed to be used so i think um heels have got a huge um question like a question there's a lot of questionability of, over heels and why we use them and if you go back as to why it first happened why we first used heels it's because it was like i think for horse riding um they needed it for the stirrup 
And then maybe in the 13th century, there was a short king and he decided that he wanted a high heel. This is serious. This is why we have heels. And then all the way through to the peasants, it was like a pecking order. The higher the heel, the higher you were up in society through to peasants, which had a flat shoe. And we see it now. We see, um, you know, Melania Trump in the highest of heels tottering around um, down to people that are barefoot are considered you know, the lowest of low. Like if you see someone barefoot, like, oh, what, what, what's that guy being barefoot for? What, he can't afford shoes, you know? So we still have this hierarchy of heels in our society. And then, um, and, it, and the, it's so detrimental to our physical function that if we see, say, some Chinese or Asian countries binding feet, we'll think, oh, that's terrible. Why are, we doing, why are they doing that to their women? Yet we're doing it to, um, to women's feet especially still in our society, destroying them by wearing a heel and squish toe. So I could go on, as you could tell, about heels for a very long time. Um, then we get to the um, the toe spring. We'll go down to the other end of the foot. This is where the start, the end of the shoe is pushed up. They build that into a shoe because um, it helps someone push off. If we're having help to push off, it means we're not pushing off when we're walking or running ourselves. And we've got a system in place to, to push off, and that system is not there for a mistake. It's meant to be. And if you're not pushing off through your toes correctly, you're missing out on how we should function. As we push off through our toes, our, the sole of our foot is, is locked into a position that makes our foot very rigid and makes us very efficient for towing off. So are you practicing that now? <laughs> yeah, I'm playing around with, like, gate mechanics and, like, you know, just pushing off my toe and pushing off my heel. It's interesting. It's so funny. You put your Nikes on or your Adidas and they feel great when you put them on. But when you put when you stop pushing off properly or having a heel um, or, or using a heel with every step, this is having a detrimental effect over time, like thousands of steps a day, millions of steps in a lifetime, billions of steps. You know, this is um, not how we're designed to function. So um, they're just two of the things I, I can think of from that video. Also, I think it, it, it puts, I, I think I, not video, that um, image. I, I also talked about how that toe spring puts your big toe joint in a position that's more likely to um, get it stiff, like it's being held in a stiff position. Um, cushioning is a big one that people always ask about and are probably more affected by than anything else because um, when we cushion something, it gives us license to land heavily. So we lose the ability to walk um, in a lighter way, in a way that uses our whole body. And so the more you cushion it, the more you hit the ground harder. And so when people change to a, a less cushioned shoe, they often get sore heels because they're so used to hitting the ground so hard. Um, and so one of the things I get people to do is, is to go for like a five-minute barefoot walk on concrete and notice how you move because you move very differently than even when you've got a minimalist shoe on because you don't have any protection and you have to not hit the ground hard. And to take that movement pattern away with you and try and use that when you're walking generally it can be really helpful mm. yeah. man great points a lot of gems there and it's it's uh it's um mind-blowing to think about sometimes that you know those subtle nuances even if it's like a centimeter has such a significant impact on literally like your everything everything you're walking your movements yeah. Um, and you know, when we look at things like, okay, like knee issues and wear and tear patterns on our joints. And then, you know, as you were mentioning, like that increased, you know, strike that we get from something that's overly cushioned and, 
you just think about like why are things made like this if there are such you know significant impacts potentially significant impacts down the road right yeah. and um, talk about the, the running shoe um came about in like the late 60s and 70s um because there's a big running boom and a whole lot of people um, well, the running shoe of the time would have been something quite minimalist. It would have been quite thin and flexible. But there were a whole lot of people getting into running that were sedentary, like office workers, in a heeled shoe, sitting a lot. And our hips have a huge effect on how we um, move. And so they're sitting a lot, which um, means they're tight in the hip flexors and not really function, not using their glutes as well as they should. And so they were probably overstriding with their running. They were getting, they weren't used to such a flat, flexible shoe. And and so to save the running boom, the big shoe companies like Nike, Adidas, they went to orthopedic surgeons and said, "Look, we're getting a lot of people with Achilles issues, with heel pain. What do we do?" And the orthopedic surgeons, quite rightly, said, "These people need a heel lift. They need some cushioning and heel because they're landing heavily on their heels." So they made a shoe to accommodate people's uh, unskilled running technique. And that became the norm. What would have been a smarter move in the long term would be to teach people to run properly, you know, um, as opposed to just giving them something that accommodates their poor running, because that's that's not a long term solution. And so that's a lot of what I do. I teach people to run better. I teach people to move better because we lose the ability to move properly when you put a big heel cushion shoe on. So if we fast track then suddenly people are wearing that that shoe that was made for running. They're using it for everything. They're using it for walking in. They're using it for um, for taking their kids to school in. They're using it for going to the gym in. They're using it for lifting in. They're using this shoe that was designed for running for everything. And it wasn't even designed for a good runner. It was designed for someone that wasn't a an efficient runner. So, and that's become our staple they made shoe. It for the population. Yeah. Yeah, it's become our staple shoe. This is these are the shoes that we wear every day. Um, you know, this is your your heeled cushioned um, trainer, the good shoes. Like people will buy their kids the good shoes um, when they're four or five years of age because they've got support and cushioning. Yet when they're like a new walker, when they start walking, and this is really a, a bit of a brain thing for people to think of. When you when a baby starts walking, we put them in a wide, thin, flat, and flexible shoe just like your five finger toe shoes. And then as soon as they get, and they, and all the advice is because they're learning to walk, they're developing, their, their postures developing, their foot strength is developing. You can't tell me that changes when they're three or four years of age. Because as soon as they're three or four, we start saying, let's put them in a heeled shoe with control and cushioning. And like that message should never change. Like in the last five years, my foot has developed as much as it did in the first two years, probably, because I've actually allowed it to move. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah. A lot of great points. Brings me back to a couple principles in sports science. The principle specificity and said principle. Specific yeah. adaptations to impose demands. I mean, if you, you know, put your body in a corset all day, it's eventually going to take that shape. And, you know, when you're trying to train for building muscle, you're in the gym training to a close proximity to failure. You know, that's the adaptation you're going to achieve is building muscle. Um, and it's funny how you said, you know, some people, oh, you know, uh, it was a very temporary fix for, you know, something where you should have just actually learned the mechanics of proper walking or proper running. And people always try to go towards a short-term uh, short solution, right? Whether that be like a supplement or whatever to try and, you know, 
make up for their mismanagement of their nutrition and not being in a deficit a majority of the week. And it's funny. It's always funny. So for um, for some of the audience that's unaware, um, could you go ahead and dive into some of the basics of, you know, proper gait mechanics and running mechanics? Yeah. Um, so in walking mechanics, our foot is perfectly designed for walking. It's, it's, um, we are a bi- are the most efficient bipedal, so standing on two um, legs, um, creature there is. And it's what made us um, evolutionary-wise be the dominant species because it put our head up into a position that we could see for a long way. It put us into our bodies into a position that we could um, what was called persevere hunting. So we can just outrun anything pretty much in the long term. You, we can just We're designed to run or walk all day. And our foot does this perfectly. So in walking, when our foot hits the ground, um, the heel bone is perfectly designed for accommodating whatever it's going to land on. Um, and then our foot is meant to roll in. So you're, you, nearly everyone that has common garden variety knowledge of feet thinks it's a, an issue if our foot rolls in. If our foot didn't roll in, we'd be walking on the sides of our feet, which is not helpful. When our foot rolls in, it... Um, is what shock absorbs. It's a built-in shock absorber that times in with our whole body um, absorbing shock. So if we didn't roll in, that's a problem. We get to the midfoot when our foot's landing. It's still rolling in, but it's starting to get a bit stronger. It's start, the muscles are starting to switch on, and when the muscles switch on, they stabilise the joints in the foot. And then when we get to the big toe joint, it stops our big especially if your big toe is straight, it stops our foot rolling in and really activates all the muscles in the foot to switch on and make our foot really rigid for pushing off. So a heel-to-toe gait in walking is um, the perfect way to walk. And it's it, – it's. Um, I did another Instagram post about walking – there's a famous saying, walking like your feet are kissing the earth. It's not a heavy stride. It's not an overstride. It's, it's a gentle um, – rolling of your foot through the ground and then pushing off with um, explosive power really and it's a very efficient maneuver that you can do over and over again our whole body's designed to walk well and our feet are that interaction between the ground and our whole body walking well so that's walking mechanics and really any shoe even a minimal shoe um, ruins that to some extent because um, it gives you some protection and when you get protected you can be a bit lazy, you know. So mm-hmm. I have min- I only wear minimalist shoes, and if I wear some with a little bit of cushioning, then I can- I know I get lazy with my walking. I can stride out more. I can hit my heel into the ground, and then I wear mine with very little cushioning, and I'm like, oh, that reminds me. It's almost like the shoe itself is a gait retraining tool. Like it makes it it makes you more aware of the way your foot is interacting with the ground, and then your body um, self self-selects the ideal way of doing that you know so that's in a way like enhances our mechanoreceptors because they've been shut off for so long and our body is like switched on generally speaking people overstride they push their foot straight out in front of them too much and this is because they've got tight hip flexors so they lose hip extension so the gait gets moved out in front of them and we and because of cushioned heels we jam our foot into the ground our heel into the ground because we can get away with it so they're the two big factors cushioned heels and sitting a lot um, and so a lot of when I'm gait retraining someone, it's trying to get their gait behind them more, more hip extension and more landing with their foot under them in a gentler um, landing position. When we come to running, and this is a huge area, and I'm actually working on something with the Full Collective, a, a, running, um, a running workshop, online running workshop. 
And um, there are some people that you say you should strike on your forefoot, you should strike on your heel, you should strike on your midfoot. It's more about your whole posture when you're running. If your posture is correct, then your foot will land where it should and the terrain will dictate whether it's on your forefoot, your heel, or on your midfoot. If you're running uphill and your posture is correct, you're probably going to be landing on your forefoot. If you're running downhill and your posture is correct, you're probably landing on your heel. If you're running at a constant pace on flat ground, you're probably going to be midfoot striking. Um, it's more about your whole body's posture and your feet are just kind of along for the ride. And if we start trying to say that our feet should be forefoot stri striking, then you'll um, do that at the cost of the rest of your running technique. So it's, it's good to move away from what your foot is doing and focus on your whole posture. Um, you know, some people talk about cadence. You should have a 180 um, beats per minute cadence when you're running. But I run alongside, I'm like five foot 10 and I run alongside a guy that's six foot five and we're running at the same pace um, and his legs are probably a foot longer than mine. There's no way that we can be the same cadence when we're running at the same pace. So there, there, there is not an ideal cadence. Um, there is an ideal place where our foot lands. It should be closer to under our body. If we put it out in front of us, like an overstride, then that um, is acting as a brake. So we, we try and get people's posture correct so that their foot lands under their body a bit more and we're moving more with that hip extension and less with hip flexion. Yeah, so um, they're the basics of running mechanics. Uh, and again, they're affected hugely by people sitting a lot. So we end up with tight hip flexors and lack of hip extension which means we end up overstriding out in front of us. And then a heeled cushion shoe gives us license to do that because it protects our heel when we put our foot out in front of us. I, I, I hope that makes sense. It's double, double negative reinforcement. Yeah, yeah. And um, then we keep sitting all day and using the heeled cushion shoe, and so it just keeps perpetuating that movement, you know? Mm. So out, outside of... Outside of resistance training, you know, doing movement patterns that train, you know, hip flexion, hip extension, and, um, you know, doing some dynamic work here and there, opening the hips up. What are some general recommendations you could provide the audience for, you know, better improving their 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 gait or their running mechanics? Um, I'm really big on habitual changes. So, you know, I'm sitting on the floor now. So for this hour that we're chatting or however long it goes, um, I'll be sitting on the floor and I move maybe every two minutes or every five minutes, depending on um, I, I'm basically exposing my hips to their own mini yoga class over this, this hour. In, and I could be sitting at a, and I could be sitting at the table on a chair, uh, which is um, the detrimental position to the way I function. So I love to find something mm -hmm. that not only reduces the negative, but it acts as a positive, you know, like, and so and that's what I call habitual change that makes a difference. So you could be, um, you could be doing 20 minutes of hip extension work a day, but if you sit at your desk for another eight hours, there's, it's kind of not really helpful. So I think the big changes happen when you make a life, engineer your environment to make it difficult to get into those positions that are detrimental to your movement. And this can be the same for footwear. If you don't wear a shoe that's healed and cushioned and stiff, then your foot is having to work. And, and yes, I give people, I prescribe foot exercises, but I also say if you change your shoes, these fiddly little foot exercises are 
are such a small piece of the puzzle compared to walking every step with a foot that is moving because that's very functional training, you know. That is highly functional training. And so um, I, I don't even like to – like even you'll see on my Instagram, I hardly ever give exercises out because it, for me it's, it's far more about habitual change. If you can, if you can engineer your environment into a way that is, um, you know, leans you towards a lifestyle that takes away the negatives, then you don't have to do the exercises so much. That said, if someone has specific issues, I give them exercises to do to strengthen that specific area. But um, exercise, people doing their exercises is a huge area of, um, you know, like people – go to the physio, physical therapist, or come and see you. And, and it's the step, the hardest step is for them to actually do what you've told them to do. So if you can create a system that means they don't even know they're doing their exercises by changing their shoes, changing their seating, their habitual life, then um, it's that's more likely to happen over a very long time. And then and then you've got long-term changes. That could be with diet, it can be with exercise. It's, it's everything, you know? Mm. Unfortunately, with the gym, you have to go to the gym. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, um, yeah man, that's that's uh, great gems, you know. And I could tell, uh, I could tell you're—I hate using this word, you know—but I could tell you're an expert at what you do. You know, obviously, there's always more room to learn and grow. And you know, it's funny because we have different um, different types of like practice, right? Yeah. But um, you know, similar to you. I hate giving general recommendations, right? It's yeah. probably like like a pet peeve of mine yeah. because everything everything needs to be individualized, whether it be from, you know, ex choice of exercise selection all the way down to, you know, your specific macronutrient ratios. Yeah. Um, so man, yeah. Kudos I, to I, you. And I see in your um in your when people ask you questions on your Instagram and you answer in a very similar way to I do. I say, I can't, I'm sorry, I can't be specific like this. And then just give a very general or generic um, rule, over overarching rule for them to work on um, because um, it, it's impossible to be specific. And I think in that, those forums, if someone's asking me a question for them specifically, I think really like I would never ask someone in a forum like um, that, that social media world, I would never be asking someone such a generalized question hoping for this oh that must work and, and then they go like it's a, someone that's asking that question is going to ask the next person the same question get a different answer and then they'll try, try something else for a week as well yes. or a day you know? yes and part of it too is people just want to hear you validate what they're doing or what they think they know you know yeah. Yeah. Um, that's part of the problem we have right now and there's a big you know information overload um, a lot of people are, you know, scared of trial and error and, you know, seeing what works for them or, you know, we could chat about this all day, you know. Yeah. Can, um, I, can, I, can I ask you some questions, Ashak? Um, with um, the healed, like I have my own idea of it, but I'd love to hear what you um, think of the, a healed lifting shoe. Like why, what's the benefit and what, what should people be doing if they're in the gym, using their healed lifting shoe or should they be, like what's the story? I, I, I have my um, – view but i i'm open to um being educated okay so um well it it's like you know people trying to get a short-term solution so it's like people thinking oh if i buy these shoes it's gonna make or break my squat no yeah. if you have a shit squat it's still gonna be shit even after you buy expensive shoes you know 
Um, and I think it, it depends, obviously, on the type of athlete. Are we talking about an Olympic lifter? Or are we talking about a power lifter? Which for that, you know, demographic, you know, they may potentially be able to find some value out of some heel elevation. But the entire premise behind a heel elevation is to increase the degree of dorsiflexion that we achieve, which is thereby going to improve range of motion either at the knee or the hip, which mechanically sounds like a sound explanation, right? Me personally, I've never used those shoes. None of my clients have ever needed to use those shoes. And if someone is honestly having, uh, you know, trouble achieving sufficient range of motion in something like, say, a squat, which is what most people would use those shoes for, then a simple heel elevation with some plates would be sufficient for achieving, you know, the level of dorsiflexion that's needed to get, you know, sufficient range of motion. Part of it, too, is people don't know even, you know, what the hell a normal squat is. So it's like, okay... Are we trying to squat for the glutes or are we trying to squat for the quads? Because depending on our goal, they're both going to have their own active range of motion we're working through. They're going to have their both. They're both going to have a certain end range we're trying to achieve. Um, So that's my thoughts on it. I mean, I think it's just like anything. It's overhyped. You know, it's like it's like a lifting belt. It's just an accessory. Obviously, lifting belts aren't needed. People buy lifting belts thinking it's going to be the end all or be all for their back when in actuality, most people don't even know what a lifting belt is used for. It's used as a proprioceptive tool so you could get a better brace, right? And then, but they use it for their lower back and they're walking around doing movements and, you know, wearing it on their lower back. I'm like, oh my God. But part of it too is like, as I've gotten older is just, you know, chilling out, letting people go do their thing, whatever makes them happy, you know, but if I see if someone's, you know, a beginner, they're doing something incorrect, and, you know, I look at them, and I see that they're kind of open-minded, or they're receptive to feedback, I could, it's weird, I could kind of tell, you know, when someone's open to something, Um, I'll generally give them some feedback, I'll let them know my thoughts, you know, nothing too imposing, I'll give them my business card, I have a podcast, go learn more, there's articles on my site, I don't even, it's not even like I'm trying to sell them or anything. Just go educate yourself, improve yourself, build yourself yeah. better, you know? Yeah. Cool. That's what it's about, you know? If if we don't, you know, help each other out to achieve a higher level of understanding, awareness, whatever the case may be, you know, how are we all going to grow together, yeah. you know? But, you know, it's also the world we live in is very dog-eat-dog. You know, yeah. it never used to be like that, but that's how our society has, you know, evolved and it is what it is. Yeah. Got yeah. The times. And and what about with your training? Like, I, obviously, you're doing very specific um, work to build hype. I, I understand it's for hypertrophy. So why do you wear those shoes? Like, and I, I think, again, I know the answer, but why are you wearing minimal shoes for your lifting? Oh, me personally? So... Well, because our feet have the most mechanoreceptors out of anywhere in our body, and um, I feel like they enhance my proprioception and my articulation out of my foot, and um, compared to other shoes, they don't limit my ability to achieve max dorsiflexion, um, which if you're wearing something like, uh, you know, 
ankle high converse that could be you know something that limits your uh dorsiflexion or your ankle range of motion so that's something to potentially consider but um but that's one of the reasons they're also minimal they're very comfortable um they're not thick they're not heavy they don't have um an overly thick sole and overly uh thick like border so um i have nike fly knits right yeah they're they're cool the problem with them is my feet are kind of wide and they run over that knit right yeah so that actually brings up a point is like you know one of the posts i've seen you make is um you know you cut open the top of a shoe and you draw an uh, outline of a foot and you actually display how crammed it is against the inside of the shoe. Yeah. I It just blows my mind if like, you know, do we have shoe engineers that like think about these things? Like, come on. There's a guy, there's a guy um, that used to work for Nike and he's now engineering shoes, uh, minimal shoes. He's And he's doing them um, with 3D, um, oh, what's that stuff called where you just print it out? Sure. Printer, yeah, and he's coming up with these amazing shoes that are a foot shape, but he couldn't do it for Nike because this, like, the, the it's still there's still this huge block for people to wear a shoe that's actually foot shaped. And and a lot of the comments I get is they're just ugly shoes, and I'm like, well, you know what, your feet are, re- are really ugly if you put them in those other shoes as well. <laughs> yeah, for real, that's a good reply. Yeah. Uh, and I wish there would be a way to just like you know open people's minds but you know ignorance as they say ignorance is bliss not really but you know (laughs) yeah anyways um we're about coming up to wrapping this up i want to thank you again for coming on making the time taking the time out of your saturday moving between uh homes you said um are there any uh resources you have for the audience to tune into maybe follow you yeah so i i have my own instagram it's andy bryant podiatrist underscore podiatrist um, which links you to a whole lot of other resources as well. Um, but um, the, the Foot Collective is a group, is a guy in Canada who's got a big following and, and just puts out a lot of foot health work. And then there's an Australian group, TFC, which is Foot Collective Australia, um, that I work with. Um, they're good people to to see that it's not just all about the foot. It's all about habitual change. And, yeah, yeah, that, nice. that's the- yeah, that's important. And if Australian people are um, listening to this or any Melbourne people, I have a practice in Mount Waverley and Collingwood. Um, it's called Melbourne Natural Podiatry. And the other thing I should mention is I'm working with um, two podiatrists in the States, one in London and one in Canada, um, on something called Natural Podiatry, which is there aren't many podiatrists that are aligned like this and we don't have an organisation that brings us together. So we're coming up with a curriculum um, to teach people not what to do but more reframing their or their knowledge they already have um to think of um the foot as a natural functioning unit rather than with shoes and so we're doing that curriculum and hopefully bringing the community together of other natural podiatrists so um again on instagram that's at natural podiatry and you have uh you have a workshop coming up um i don't have a workshop coming up i think the foot collective australia tfc australia just um, did their online workshop they just um they just um we do workshops together and they just produced for sale the online workshop which is a movement play and foot workshop so it's really a two-hour um, package that just gives you an insight into what makes a healthy physical human being <laughs> wow nice yeah. Yeah. the world needs that right now 
Yeah. Cheers, mate. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day. Guys, go give him a follow. Show him some love. And if you enjoyed the episode, don't forget to take a screenshot and tag us on social media. Thank you once again for tuning in. Stay tuned for future episodes. We'll talk soon, guys. Bye-bye.